Troy Marks, thanks for taking the time to do this, buddy. Sure, man. Thanks so much for having me. Man, so, you know, crazy times we've been in. Obviously, we were talking about that earlier, and um, I've seen so many bands canceling shows, you know, canceling tours, postponing tours, and some of these bands are really taking a hit, and they find themselves doing things like virtual concerts and things like that just to try to recoup a little bit of money that they can from what they're losing at this point. I mean, it, to me, it's amazing that that people aren't more disheartened with it, but at the same time, it's inspiring to see people still keeping it yeah, going. Yeah, I, I you know? think, man, it, for me, it, it's like everyone's trying, you know, we're all pretty much in the music industry, self-employed and, and you know, trying to do the best that we can, you know, and, and it's such a rough industry, even in the best of times. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, you know, we're all kind of scattered and, and trying to talk to each other and say, what what are we going to do? You know, what what do we do now? I think no one saw this coming and it's just such a, um, was such a surprise and you, you go from, from playing and everything's great and then boom, you shut down and you stay inside and you do nothing. Right. And, um, you know, everyone's kind of scrambling to, to try to figure, you know, what, what works for them. You know, for me, um, I, I just, I'm, I'm kind of sequestered with my family at the moment and, and just trying to figure a way through it all. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't done any, any virtual concerts or anything, but we, we do have a couple things planned, you know, depending upon how long it goes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, like I, like I said, I totally commend any, like all these bands, all these musicians and yourself included who are still, you know, maintaining to have a positive attitude and everything that's going on. I mean, and I know it's hard, but you know, how important is it to you to stay positive? And what do you think that that does for you to stay positive through all Man, this? I, I just, I just put out a, a thing on social media the other day, you know, basically saying the same thing, man, you know, stay positive, you know, stay strong, stay safe. It'll all pass, you know, everything passes in time. And I'm sure that we'll get through this. I mean, for as divided as we are as a country, and in, in my opinion, you know, perhaps this can be something that can galvanize all of us. You know, I think it transcends politics, and everything, um, you know, something like this doesn't discriminate. It it affects everyone. It transcends mm-hmm. race, age. Well, maybe not so much age, but you know, um, it, it it's just. Um, I think that hopefully it can bring us all together in some way. You know, when it's all said and done, it, it can. There can be some positive that comes out of it. You know, from a, a daily basis. You know, people just have to be strong and, 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 you know, stay together and, and let's try to get through it. And I, I just, you know, in my humble opinion, man, I I don't think it's a time to be placing blame and pointing fingers and doing all that. I think this is one of those things in American history that we all have to come together as a nation and try to beat this thing. This is not a time to be divided by whatever we, you know, or used to being divided by politics, race, whatever. Mm-hmm. We need to come together. No, absolutely. I totally agree. And you know, just to kind of touch on what you said, it you know, it it's it's not selective. You know, it's not like no. you know, it, it it totally 
is something that is bigger than all of us at this point. And, yeah. you know, it's, and it's not even in every man or woman for themselves at this point. It's kind of like, you know, what can we do to help each other out and to educate each other and to try to make sure that, you know, maybe we can do our little part in inspiring people to just, you know, stay in, stay, stay well, you know, listen, listen to your, you know, your, your health departments and the, the you know, the, the healthcare officials and things like that. You know, it's, I know it's hard yep. for some, some people to swallow, but it's what we've got to do to come out of this. And the more we do it, the quicker we're going to get out of this. Yeah, absolutely, man. Stay home and, and, and stay safe, you know, and, and let's all try to get through this thing and, hopefully we can get back to normal, whatever that will look like. You know, I think (laughs) there will be a new normal when all of this is is said and done. It's Mm -hmm. kind of scary as an entertainer, you know, are people going to be afraid to congregate after, Uh, or it could go the opposite direction where everyone is quarantined for so long that they want to get out and see live entertainment. So, you know, I don't know that there will be a new normal when all of this is said and done and it remains to be seen. It's scary times, man. But all you can do, like we said, is be positive and, and stay strong and and uh, move forward, you know? No, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and on the plus side, you know, like on the positive side, I've had this opportunity, been kind of using this opportunity to go back and, I don't know, like discover some new music, discover some some new artists and find out what, what's been out there that I maybe didn't, quote unquote, have the time to really tune into. And, you know, yeah. it's, you know, I think the best advice I can give people, is like, if you're at home, do the same thing, you know, go dig a little bit, go find some new music to kind of get you through the times. Like, so sure. what's, what's, what's some of the music, if any, that's kind of getting you through that kind of keeps you positive? Man, I, I, I almost hate to say it, man. I, I'm an, I'm an old school guy, you know? Um, I, I haven't been turned on to a lot of the new stuff for a long time. Um, I still go back to the, the Zeppelins and the Sabbath and the, um, you know, the old Aerosmith, Alice Cooper. Um, oh, yeah. That was sort of my era, and it's like I don't think I ever really moved. It was so great that I don't think I ever really graduated from it. You know, I stayed in that that high school of um, the 70s rock and then moving into, like, Judas Priest and Iron Maiden and uh, things like that. And then, obviously, you know, Pantera with Phil, you know, I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, music is... And Chris Cornell, I thought, was a, just probably the greatest songwriter and singer ever. Um, but I, I just... Um, it, it's such a big part of my life, man. Everything I do, you know, music is, is running through me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm constantly listening to stuff. But I got to be honest with you, and I know it's it's terrible, but I just haven't really gotten into a lot of the newer stuff, you know? No, nah, man, I'll be honest. That's not terrible at all because, like, even some of the newer bands that I do listen to sound like old bands. You know what I mean? So it's yeah, like well, I've got I mean, a style that I grew up with, you, you know? You know? Yeah, how do you, like I said, it, it, it's like I, I never graduated from that school, you know? I, mm-hmm. I stayed right there. Um, it, it was just such an, an artistic time. And, and the, I think the difference was it wasn't so much about commerce back then. Mm-mm. You know, everything, you know, became, uh, and of course I got to mention Rush too. I was a huge Rush fan. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, uh, 
commerce reminded me of Neil Peart. Um, but anyway, uh, it, there was no, um, it just wasn't about money. It wasn't about flash and videos and this and rock star and Motley Crue and all of that. It was just music, man. Mm-hmm. It was art. It was, uh, you know, it, it was, it was a beautiful thing. And maybe we could get back to that at some point. Oh yeah. And you know, I, and I love that you kind of touched on that because I grew up you know, in the eighties, you know, and it was one of those, like you said, it was kind of a magical time for music. And even now, like with all the modern bands or whatever, it's like, you know, you don't hear that a whole lot anymore, but I'm starting to see a lot of bands kind of coming out of, I don't know, Switzerland, Finland, Canada, things like that, that kind of, you know, younger bands that sound like the music that you and I listened to, which I think is great because I feel like that they keep it alive and going for another generation as opposed to you know kind of forging forward with a more modern sound to it you know i like being reminded yeah. of the old days you know and the, the the bands i grew up with right absolutely and i i think it it was just such a great artistic time and you know i have a son that's 18 and and sings really really well i mean really well and it's unfortunate because you know he wants to to play he wants to rock he wants to uh get in the garage and and in my day there was a thousand people out there if you put the word out and you could play with everyone and now he's having trouble even finding people to jam with oh yeah it's just you know kids today are not into guitars and all it's more turntables and hip-hop and all that stuff but um you know getting back to what we were saying he was um uh, he was asking me, you know, I'm, I'm writing some songs, you know, what, what do you think they should sound like? And what, and I said, well, you know, you have to, you have to be true to yourself. And that's what I think defined all those bands. Mm -hmm. There was no preconceived notion of, you know, you have to try, let's try to sound like this or try to sound like that. It was just, let's be unique and let's be true to our own heart, you know? Right. And I think, if you do that, then, you know, you, you have a, a decent chance of at least creating music that is, is true and honest. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think people recognize that when something is real, you can smell it. Um, you know, when it's contrived, you can smell that too. So, mm-hmm. you know, I, that's what I tell him, do what's in your heart and whatever that is, whatever comes out, that's who you are. So, no, absolutely. I think that was what, you know the beautiful thing was from our youth you know was these bands didn't really have much of a motive other than just like you said just fucking getting out there and rocking you know and having fun and playing shows you know and like it's sort of like a painter if you go up to that canvas and you go okay i'm gonna paint a picture that looks like this or something i heard or something i saw it's gonna look like no, you just you go up and you create what's in your heart on that canvas, and then it's unique to you and it's true. Mm-hmm. So I just wrote a book recently, and I did, just released it. It's called uh, Southeast. I saw that, man. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, Troy. I appreciate that, man. But uh, anyway, it's called Southeast of Heaven: A Metalhead's Journey, and uh, which is one of the reasons I wanted to actually, you know, interview you today was because I wrote a part in the book about uh, New Orleans, you know, hard rock and metal scene, and there was something really, really like special about New Orleans in the sense that 
you know, like I remember like the, there was like a, the big Los Angeles scene and everything, but New Orleans seemed yeah. like its own world, you know? I mean, I mean, we had some great fucking metal bands and hard rock bands playing. I mean, we had, you know, Razor White, Dark August, Victorian Blitz, and we had like, you know, heavier bands like Exhorter and Graveyard Rodeo and all these bands and, yeah. you know, Killer Elite. Like, so to go kind of further back, like when did that scene start for you? Like where did you first kind of step into it and how did you get into yeah. it? Well, I was, um, you know, a lot of that scene was based in Metairie, Louisiana, which is about 20 minutes outside of New Orleans, which is um, where I lived. It was just <laughs> sort of, yeah, sort of based there. Um, unfortunately I was from New Orleans East, which is on the other side of New Orleans. So, um, there wasn't much out there and not many people knew who I was. So when I came into the scene, it was like, who's this guy, you know? Um, but I was very, very young and, uh, just trying to find my way as a singer. Um, didn't really know what I was doing, but I was doing it hard, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, the first band I got in was dark August, which was a band that, uh, they offered me the, the singer position. So, I took it and we would travel around the country. We'd play six nights in a row and then travel on the seventh and then start the next club. I was probably uh, 19 at the time. Um, and the good thing about that is you really learn how to become a singer and, uh, and, and do six nights in a row, three sets a night. Mm-hmm. No, I'm tired. I don't feel good tonight. I'm sick. And of course, in those days, there are no ear monitors. It's all um, floor wedge and 10,000 Marshall cabinets behind you. So I didn't hear a word I sang until I was in my <laughs> mid-20s. Um, but long story short, uh, yeah, that was my first band, Dark August. And like you said, you mentioned a lot of those bands that were up and coming in those days. And, and I, I think the scene rivaled the scene anywhere. I think the musicianship was really high. I don't think looking back on it and listening to some of that stuff today, it's a little dated, of course, but man, it's, it's just really high level stuff, you know? So that was my in- introduction to the whole scene. So now when you were in dark August, um, <clears throat> like you said, you were young, you were like, what, like 19, 20, something like that. 19. Yeah. Like, yeah. Did you guys have any idea at that point that you're, you were a part of something that would eventually be very influential and kind of, kind of a stepping stone, of course, to some of the great musicians and bands that emerged from the, you know, the city and whatnot. Um, were you kind of aware that that could be a possibility or were you guys just kind of like, this is just what we do? Yeah, absolutely not. We were, we were just, we were kids. We had no clue what we were doing. And, you know, we were just, um, excuse me. We were just having a good time and, uh, and, and trying to create music the best that we could. Um, I don't think any of us were aware of a bigger picture or anything Mm -hmm. like that. The good thing about it was it was a pretty small musical community. So like you said, you had uh, Razor White was out there with Phil Anselmo fronting that band at the time. Mm -hmm. You had um, Victorian Blitz, which was Kirk Winstein from uh, 
you know, Crowbar. He mm-hmm. was running that band at the time. Graveyard Rodeo was Pepper. Mm-hmm. You had Exhorter with Kyle Thomas. Um, there were just so many great, great bands, and everybody knew each other. That mm-hmm. was the cool thing. Everybody hung out at the same bars, so you could go there even on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night and run into everybody. Um, and everybody sort of supported each other. There wasn't a big competition at that time or, you know, I mean, it was just, it was a great time and it was, um, it was a magical time. Um, and some of the guys have gone on to do really, really great things. And, and it's, it's a testament to how, like I'm saying, how great they were, even as kids. I mean, Kyle Thomas was a great singer from the first time I ever heard him. Same Mm -hmm. thing with Phil. You know, Kirk was always a great songwriter. Um, It just, even as kids, you could see, even if we didn't realize it, you just knew that it was great. Right. You know, and it's so funny, because even looking back on it, uh, just to kind of touch on what you said, like about how, you know, some of it may even sound dated or whatever, like... I'll be honest, like, I don't think a lot of it sounds dated at all, because if anything, I think it's, it sounds pretty fresh, you know, in the sense that there's so many bands now that are kind of coming out that are looking back to those classic, you know, bands now. And I, you know, I've, I've been a Razor White fan since 1987 and I, you know, I covet my Razor White demo. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, oh man, I appreciate that. Yeah, and somebody I had appreciate the. That. Oh man, dude. Well, somebody had the the foresight and the brilliance to actually convert that, you know, to a digital medium, and you know, so that we people could listen to it, you know, and you know, on their iPhones and on the computer and whatnot. Sure. And I am sure. still blown away at how the just the musicianship, like like nobody sounded like quote unquote local bands. Like, I mean, you guys were rivaling L.A. and bands like that. So what was it that pushed you guys so hard to not just sound like a bunch of garage bands? You know, because you guys sounded like fucking rock. I mean, like rock stars to me, you know, when I was a kid. (laughs) I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I I don't know, man. I I just I just think it was um, it it was just us coming together as kids and and wanting to forge an identity, you know, Um, and and the cool thing was, I don't think anybody really sounded alike. You know, everybody kind of had their own vibe going on at the time. So I think it was um, more a, a thing of, of not, again, being aware of any bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I think the world was a lot less connected in those days. So there wasn't all of this you know, computers. I mean, what... I'm so old, man, there wasn't even, we would travel on the road, there wasn't even cell phones, you know, I mean, (laughs) and it was cool because we were all together, that's what you do, you spend time together, and I think it it made us tighter, it it made us better friends, better bandmates, but um, I don't think we were aware of really what was going on outside of really what we were doing. You know, I remember as a kid, I would sign up for like the Led Zeppelin fan club, and Every other month or something, I'd get some newsletter in the mail and I would like covet that thing, you know, it, it meant so much. And that was my only link to the outside world of kind of what was going on. These days, you just click on the computer, you connect it to music everywhere. So I think that was beneficial in some way that we weren't really 
um, aware of what other people sounded like or what they were doing apart from just us trying to forge our own identity. I mean, of course we were heard the bands that were out at the time and, you know, they were influential in a lot of ways, but just on a local level of, um, you know, what's going on in the LA scene or the Seattle scene or this scene, New York, nobody really knew we were just doing what we did at that time. So, what was it that kept you guys from heading out to like LA or whatever? Because like I said, for as long as I remember, you know, like when I really started to get into a lot of the metal bands, I was in, you know, seventh, eighth grade, you know, and, you know, going to yeah. St. Benilde and, you know, Metairie, you know, and just, yeah, yeah. you know, and so like, you know, I spent a lot of time going to like the CYO, you know, St. Christopher's shows and whatnot. And, you know, I just remember thinking, it was so cool that bands from around the corner, some you know, in some ways, were playing these big stages, and you know, and and my friend's school gym, you know, and like, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, whereas like most of the times you guys were playing bars that we couldn't get into, you guys <clears throat> brought the sh- brought the shows to us, and kind of presented yourselves as like larger than life, at least to me. But what was it that no, kept sure. you in New Orleans and not going to L.A. to try to you know, quote unquote, make it or whatever? Yeah, at the time, um, again, I don't think we ever even thought that far ahead. Like, I don't, you know, it may have looked larger than life to Mm -hmm. you, or and and I know what that's like, because I was 12 years old watching Zebra and the CYOs, you know? (laughs) And and for me, that was, you know, Randy and and Felix and Guy, they they were my heroes, and that's what I aspired to be. And uh, so it was larger than life to me. And I, I thought one day I want to be there and be doing that. And uh, but I don't think we ever really thought that it it could be so influential or that we could make a living out of it or that it would become our life. I think the only thing we really thought about at that time was just trying to write good songs and where we were playing that month and what we were doing and, and just sort of taking it a day at a time. And in hindsight, I, if, if there had been some management or some smarter people around us that could have maybe, you know, guided us a little more, mm-hmm. I think it may have benefited all of us, you know, at, at a younger age, but man, we were flying by the seat of our pants, you know, and, and just, um, and having a good time, enjoying life, being young, um, being in music, I mean, it was sort of a dream come true just to be able to play live and be in front of people. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't even imagine, because I remember going to see, you know, Razor White shows and Lillian Axe shows. And I mean, and, you know, and for those of people who don't know, you know, the St. Christopher's CYO gym, I mean, you're talking, you know, I mean, this, these weren't, it wasn't like a small room you know and you guys like packed them in you know so you guys really got to experience probably what a lot of the bands were experiencing in la without having to go out there you know (laughs) yeah no that's that's true that that's true it's just that you know that's where the record companies were and that's why you know when when zebra moved from new orleans to new york you know that's that's what turned the corner for them Mm-hmm. You know, the two big bands on, on Long Island were Twisted Sister and Zebra. Yeah. And, uh, and, and it was remarkable to think of, 
to put those two bands in the same sentence, you know, is, is kind of crazy, but, but that's, that's how it was at, in that scene. Mm -hmm. And they were able to really be where the scene was, where they needed to be in hindsight. Yeah, man. If I wish we had gone to New York or gone to LA, you know, who knows what would have happened. But at the end of the day, I mean, everything happens for a reason, and I've I've been fortunate to have a life in music and 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 do some great things that I enjoy and and be able to to just stay in it my entire life now. Um, so I, I you know I'm not sad or anything. Uh, who knows what would have happened if I had gone out there? I might not even be alive. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of them, right? <laughs> you know, the way the way I was at that time, man. I don't know. You know, I don't. I don't know. So it like, is what it is, I suppose. I had friends who were in bands here in Atlanta that you know that said, "Man, I'm so glad I didn't go to LA because I would have come back in a body bag." <laughs> you know, and it was yeah, just... exactly, man. Because you're young and you're like you're saying. I wasn't thinking about a career or anything. I was just trying to have a good time and write good songs and where are we going next week, you know? <laughs> well, I mean, there's also something about, like you said, kind of living in the moment. And, you know, you were talking sure. about technology earlier. Um, it, it, like, I kind of look at technology as a, a as a plus and a minus for music. You know, like, I like to say that I think, you know, the good thing about it is that anyone can make an album and the bad thing about it is that anybody can make an album you know so it's like <laughs> well said. you know yeah. but like you guys Absolutely. back in the day didn't have that to you know build a crowd or build an audience so um what did what did a young troy marks do to actually get out and hustle and build an audience huh. i think you're asking the wrong guy man <laughs> I, I mean i you know i have a son that's that's 18 and he's he's trying it sings really really well and he's trying right now to to uh to put something together and and get started on his path in music and and it's incredibly difficult for him because you know kids today are they they don't really know about guitars and and drums and you know it's it, it's a hip-hop world it's the media perpetrates all that stuff it's mm -hmm. you know a, a turntable world and and uh, it's just a different time, man. I, I would say that anyone going into music now, you know, you have to go into it for the love of it and, and to be an artist and to be creative because there is no money. Yeah. You know, if, if you want to try to go in and, and, and make money and be in a business, then go be an, a lawyer or an accountant, you know. <laughs> Play um, music on the side, you know. <laughs> yeah, but if you, you know, if 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 it's in your heart and it's who you are, which, which it always was for me, I, I understand that. I mean, it's such a big part of my life. I can't imagine my life without music in it. And, um, so I, I appreciate the younger people and, and how they feel, you know, but at, at the end of the day, you know, it's a different world for musicians now with, with the technology and there's, there's no money for anyone anymore. Hence all the meet and greets and, uh, you know, everybody's trying to find a way to make a dollar these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, the times have changed so dramatically as far as how bands used to make money. I mean, like, you know, I was thinking about, you know, bands like, 
I don't know, like, you know, Skid Row, Anthrax, you know, like when they first, you know, bands like that, like Pantera, like when they were first signed, you know, a record label put them in a tour bus and said, you know, we're going to put you on this tour. We're going to get you on this tour and you're going to go out and you're going to play your asses off and make some money back for us. At the same time, we're going to give you exposure. Like, yeah. You don't you don't see that anymore. You know, you see these bands no. kind of schlepping it in vans and driving themselves and then they almost seem to expire after, you know, anywhere from 3 to 5 years, which is you know, sad to me, but it's like they're working 20 times harder and not getting out of it what say the bands would have got back in the 80s. Yeah, it's 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 scary in a way to, to think of, like you said, the technology has, has changed everything so much, you know, that anyone can make an album now and it's hard to, to, to find your way through all of that. You know, how do you, how do you find your way through all of the fluff to, to stand like, where's the Pantera today? If, if, if Pantera was out there today, you know, writing those same songs, you know, how, how do you make your way through all of it? You know, of course you'd like to think that it's so good. It's going to get recognized, but right. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, how do you stand out from everybody and everything? You know, for me, when I was a kid, like saying, we were saying earlier, you know, being at the CYOs and watching zebra, that's what I aspired to be. And when you saw them, it was flawless. I mean, mm-hmm. it was just flawless. It was Randy, singing all this stuff high perfect and and now it over the years it's sort of um it's sort of gotten to the point where it it's almost okay to be a joke in a way mm-hmm. you know it's, it's funny we're screwing everything up and it's funny and everybody's in on the joke and everything and I guess there's there's room for that you know but for me music was such an important part of my life it was I just wanted to, I wanted to be great. I wanted it to be the best. So we always worked as hard as we could to make every note as great and, and make sure we were as tight as we could be. And, you know, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a joke to us. It was, it was vital. It was urgent. It was, um, it was everything, you know, and I'm glad I have that in me. And I, I try to, you know, I preach that to my son to, to aspire to be great, mm-hmm. you know, it's okay to be great. It's okay to try to be the best that ever lived. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's what we do this for, you know. It, I don't, you know, there's so many bands today that are, are just um, there's just so many of them out there that it's it's just uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to talk down on anybody, man, because I think there's room for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody has a voice. Um, but for me, if you're going to do anything, man, you, you want to be the best at it. You know, you want to be at least be the best you that you can be. So sing the scales, work at it, learn to read music, learn another instrument, continue your path to being the best that you can be. No, I totally agree because, you know, like I said earlier, there was a, there was a thing, you know, that, you know, me and my friends, you know, we would go see you know dark august victorian blitz you know lillian axe i mean we'd go see these bands oh, lillian i didn't and, mention lillian yeah blaze i mean phenomenal band you guys set the bar so high but, but you know at the same time you made it attainable for us you know as young musicians because we were like god these are these are guys from the block you know that are 
that, that, right. that sound every right. bit as good, if not, I mean, like, you know, I mean, to me, Razor White was as awesome as, say, like, Rat, you know, or like, you know, Victorian Bliss was every bit as awesome as, you know, Wasp or somebody like that. And so, yeah. Yeah. you know, there was always a quality to what you guys did. And I don't ever remember looking back and going, oh, yeah, you know, they were kind of amateurish. Like, there really was nothing amateur right. about what you guys did at all on the scene. No. I mean, the bar was high out here. There's no, like I said, and I think for us going back, it started for me personally with uh, Persia. There was a band called Persia. I remember and them. And Zebra. And uh, those two were the ones in 24K. Those three bands were the ones that, that were like just blew everybody away and set the standard. And then there was Lillian Axe and Steve and Johnny, which were just phenomenal. And uh, and then it went down to, to like us. You know, when Razor White was originally Phil, I was in Dark August. Um, and then when Phil left to join Pantera, Phil Anselmo, um, that's when I got the call to join Razor White. So I quit Dark August and joined Razor because it was a step up um, at that time. And um, big shoes to fill, you know, being uh, the singer that takes the place of Phil Anselmo, you know, even as a kid, he was um, he was just phenomenal vocalist and uh, and, you know, front man. So for me, coming from New Orleans East, like I said, I, I nobody really knew who I was to step into those shoes were, was was a tall order. Um, I did the best I could, you know. And was able to um, to uh, to navigate it. I think the best, at least the best that I could. And uh, we, you know, had some success and was able to travel the country and, and play all over and do well. Release a couple of records. Um, but yeah, I, I just think that the bar was so high that you wanted to fit in. You wanted to be as good as the band that that you knew. You, Razor White wanted to be as good as Victorian Blitz and and Lillian Axe and Zebra and live up to that standard. You wanted to be accepted as one of the better bands, you know? So that's, that's what we aspired to. I, mm -hmm. I wish that we had had bigger aspirations and had gone to LA and had more direction or gone to New York and all, but you know, Zebra took us to New York uh, in the eighties and uh, we showcased around with them for a while. Uh, slept on their floors. You know, their <laughs> kids were stepping over us to go to school in the morning. They were, had always <laughs> been great friends to us and, and did a lot to help us. So, but, you know, it, it is what it is, man. I, I just, I don't have any, any regrets on, on the way my career has gone. And uh, obviously, you know, some of the guys that I mentioned have gone on to do great things. Those talk about underrated, man, those Lillian Axe records. You know, Steve Blaze never did did get their due. I think I think those records were as good as anything. Um, Zebra did really well, mm -hmm. um, obviously, uh, and and then of course, you know, Phil is just a whole nother level. So I, you know, Kurt did well. That new Exhorter record is phenomenal. Oh my Kyle God, Thomas. is that not like an um, amazing comeback for them? <laughs> oh man, and and Kyle, like I said, Kyle's been great since he was you know seventeen. Mm -hmm. um, just a phenomenal singer and lyricist and uh, songwriter. So Vinny and and Kyle were always just great. So just so many great musicians, man, that have gone on to have great careers. You know, 
I applaud all of them. And, and you know what's cool, too, Don, is that they're all cool people, man. You know, you, you, you run into Kirk today from Crowbar, and he's the same dude he was in Victorian Blitz. Same mm-hmm. thing with Kyle. You know, just everybody's just good people down here in New Orleans. Man, there's a certain thing about it that you see people and they're just laid back and they're cool. You know, nobody's got that that I'm better than you rock star thing that that never did really transcend down here much at all. No, I just always remembered that, you know, there was always this thing, you know, that like even if you didn't know somebody, if you if they were from New Orleans, you automatically became best friends. You know, like there yeah. was a something yeah. about Very true. Yeah, there's something about that city and about that heritage and about the culture in general that just I don't know, it just kind of lacks pretension, you know, and just lacks mm-hmm. that kind of like you said that lacks that I'm better than you kind of mentality yeah. which was very much yeah, well present said. in other, you know, it, genres. It, it's not pretentious at all. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's called the big easy down here for a reason. You know? <laughs> there, there's, everybody's just kind of moving at their own pace and everybody's, Hey, where you at? How you doing, man? Come on, come eat something. Come, eat, you know, <laughs> what's it up, was bro? always, what's uh, up, bro? <laughs> there's a lot of camaraderie down here, you know? So, so when you went from dark, dark, dark August to razor white, like, obviously you said that was, a, a step up for you, you know, you know, in, you know, like a step up as far as like, you know, that being a bigger band. Um, yeah. who were some of your peers that were on the scene at the time that you, that even now you can look back and go that, that band should have been huge. Yeah. Well, I just mentioned one, I think Lillian X, you know, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Steve blaze is, is just a phenomenal songwriter, man. And, uh, you know, all the, you know, what he did was, you know, those records, if you go back, I think they're one of the most underrated bands in rock. And and not only the records, but from a live perspective, too, and particularly when they had Ron Taylor, um, you know, that, that band was just, I mean, they would blow anybody away. I'd I, rat any of them. I mean, they were on that Queensryche level, you know? Oh. Great songs, great hard-hitting live band. I don't think they ever really got their due. Um, and I think Zebra, to a, to a, um, to a point as well, even though they, they had success, they were on Atlantic Records, I mean, I think Randy's voice was so unique that it sort of, um, it was an acquired taste for some people, mm-hmm. but those songs are as good as anything in the world, you know? Um, so really I, I'd say those two, uh, you know, I think were ones that, that should have been even bigger than they were, although they've had great success and, mm-hmm. and you know, the best thing I could say about them is that they're still alive today. Oh I mean, yeah. We're talking what, 40, 50, 40 years later. I think Zebra just celebrated over their 40-year anniversary still together, same three guys <laughs> exactly. still performing at an insanely high level. Um, same thing with Lillian. Lillian's gone through a few singers um, over the years, but Steve is still writing great music, still a great band, still active today after all those years. Oh, yeah. I just saw Lillian Axe here last year. They were here uh, for... Uh... Uh, a festival called the Rocklanta Festival, and I yeah. mean, they, you know, that band was like arena level, 
as long sure. as I can remember them. You, you know, it's sure. just the energy, just the you know passion for the music, and like you said, Steve never lost it. You know, he plays just never. like he put that band together a week ago. You know, ah, absolutely, absolutely, and and I mean, just uh, I had the pleasure of playing in a band a couple of years back with Steve. We did a, a cover band just for fun called Sledgehammer. Um, and it was Steve Blaze on guitar. I was singing Guy Gelso from Zebra was on drums. Mm -hmm. Joe Kaluta was on bass, I mean, on keyboards from Persia. And then Michael Max from the original Lillian Axe was on bass. And we were just went out playing covers. And man, it was so much fun. I mean, just such a high level of musicianship. So one of the better um, projects I've been in in my life. And we were just playing like Maiden and, you know, Judas Priest and Ozzy and stuff like that. And it was just so much fun to do that. And just being able to be on stage with Blaze and, and you can smell his greatness, man. Same thing with Guy, <laughs> all of them, you know. Um, insanely high level of musicianship and and like I was saying too, great people, man. So it's just, it was a lot of fun. So when you came into Razor White, obviously, you know, I mean, it's known now very, very, you know, I mean, globally that Phil was the singer for Razor White. He's never been ashamed to admit it. He's very open about his beginnings and stuff. But what was it that changed for you guys, So that changed for the band so big upon his exit and with your injury? Um, I think we were still trying to be in that same razor white was more we had two guitar players that played really well together so we were in that judas priest iron maiden vein mm -hmm. uh so i think that's that's sort of where our heart was um we were going down that road um in hindsight uh i think you know we got a little bit of record company interest and in one of the things that came back to us at the time and it was the mid or late 80s mm -hmm. um one of the things that came back to us was we really liked the band we liked the look we liked the sound we'd like to hear some more commercial songs i think that was the height of the dock and uh you know all of that era mm -hmm where they, and, and I think, you know, unfortunately in hindsight, we started chasing it a little bit mm -hmm. and trying to, and getting back to what we were saying earlier about being true to yourself, you know, if I could do all, all over again, I'd say, no, we're not doing that. We're going to stay true to who we are mm -hmm. and just write those Judas Priest, Iron Maiden type songs that we enjoy. Mm -hmm. But we got caught up in it, man, and, and started chasing it a little bit, trying to write these commercial songs, and I think we kind of lost our way. That's sort of where it kind of went went sideways for us a little bit. But everything happens for a reason, man, and, and you know, that, that was sort of the demise of Razor White, I think, when we really got away from who we were and started trying to be what they wanted us to be. It's funny because I remember when the first Skid Row album came out and I think it was like 89 maybe or whatever. And I just remember thinking, oh my God, they stole this from Razor White. <laughs> you know? like, I was like, I mean, like, so like, even when I go back and I listen to the, you know, the Razor White demo now, like I go back and I go, God, these guys were, I mean, could have been Skid Row at a point. Like, 
did you guys hear something like that and then go, ah, oh, that should have been us? As far as like you were talking about, as far as like where you guys kind of bent a little bit? I, I don't think we ever really thought like that. I just think that um, everybody was doing their thing at the time, you know, and I mean, it, when, when that record came out, that uh, the vocals were so good. I think everybody was blown away by that. Um, so yeah, for me, I, I don't think we ever really thought we were some big influential band or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, like I said, we were just doing what we did and didn't have too much of an awareness of anything else that was going on around us. So, you know, obviously we you know, I've, I, I talk about Razor White a lot cause I, you know, I was a big fan growing up, you, you know, Razor White and like I said, a lot of the other New Orleans bands were very influential to me as a young musician because I felt like, oh, you don't need to go to LA. You can do it here, you know? Um, but you guys, like I said, you've put out an incredible demo tape. You know, you put out um, a full length album uh, just with the doctor ordered. Um, are those recordings ever going to be available, say, like in a digital media for? The, you know, for people that would be interested to hear that former piece of, or actually that big piece of the New Orleans, you know, hard rock and metal lineage. Yeah, I, I had gotten some calls um, over the years, and, and I got another one recently, too, um, from these um, different record companies that are interested in doing that. Um, they want to re-release the remaster it, re-release the, the, the record, you know, and, and, um, for me, I, I don't know, man. I, I was always like, I, I don't know, you know, it's like, do you do it or, you know, do you not? And, um, when you start dealing with those people, it becomes pretty legal pretty quick and mm-hmm. they want you to sign this and sign that and give away this and give away that and, you know, so I don't know, man. It's like, I don't know what the demand would be for that. I don't know um, if if it would be worthwhile doing to, to remaster it and put it out there. But the offers have been there over the years. And particularly like in the last few months, this guy's been ringing my phone off the hook going, man, we got to do this. We got to do this. So I don't know, man. What do you think? Do you think I should? um do something like that? You think there's demand for that? You know, it's funny because I think that there is a younger generation of hard rock and metal fans that have, it, it's almost kind of like they've created this little like subculture where what they do is they enjoy tracking down demo cassettes and demos of bands, you know, that, that no one's ever really heard of. And things like that. Sure. I think that you know this younger, like I said, this young. I mean, and when I say younger generation, I'm talking like you know, I'm 46, so I'm talking like in their 20s. You know what I mean? So right, it's right, like, right. you know, but these kids are kind of like, you know, they hear so much modern stuff, and they're accustomed to the CDs and and whatnot and the digital music that they're finding old mediums like cassettes, you know, demo tapes, things like that. And so I, I mean, I think that there's something to be said there about people have having an interest in hearing things like that i mean and i'll be honest like like that demo you, you know the, the the four song demo guys sure. you did like yeah was there extra songs for that or did you guys just go in and cut those songs 
Yeah, we just went in and did those. Um, that was all we could afford at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, that was that was the four that we did. Um, and then the next time we were able to get enough money together to go do studio stuff was the, um, the record that we put out there mm-hmm. just with the doctor ordered, which mm-hmm. again was more of us chasing that, that sound that we, you know, I wish we had stayed with that original demo sound, you know, cause that's who we were. That's what was in our heart. That was the Genesis and the core of, what razor white was built on but then we sort of started chasing it and that a lot of that just with the doctor ordered stuff was that that period but still i still think those songs are good um Mm -hmm. but just again not not necessarily who we were yeah i think i think that 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 demo to me is what was very synonymous with like, like when i think of razor white I think of yes. Never Cry Wolf and Doggy yeah, Dog, you know? Yep. Those are the songs I think of. Like, even now, as I mentioned those songs, I just clenched my fists, you know? I was like, you know, like Never Cry yeah. Wolf, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. And that's the stuff that I feel like if 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 people could hear it, they would go, God, this, right. this was 88? Like, because you guys, it's like you guys were heavier than the norm, but still very melodic kind of like you said it was kind of a judas priest you can tell what your influences were but you didn't you know razor white wasn't really copying us off of one particular band it was like you combined all these influences and just created a a a great metal band you know right right yeah it was um it, it was the best of times man it really was it's like the whole the whole world was open to you you know there was no limits on what you could do or or um you know what you aspired to be and and for me it was just you know i i'd go in in studio and when in doubt i'd hit the highest note that i could get to you know that Mm -hmm. was really you know what it was all about you know in those days like oh man I, i didn't really know what i was doing but i was doing it hard you know right and so yeah so to to kind of answer your question i think that you know if if that demo was made available just to like like i said it's even floating around on youtube now i don't know who did it but somebody has managed to split the songs up and put them up on youtube now you know yeah and yeah and with a lot of hits like now i'm not talking like 30 40 hits you know i'm talking a lot of hits that people are obviously interested in hearing and i even think that people who were who are Pantera fans, especially from the beginning, would would love to hear the band that not necessarily Phil is singing on the songs, but to kind of hear where Phil right. came from. Where it came you know? from, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I appreciate your your input, man. I, I um, I'm, I'm probably will talk to those people and and try to puzzle through it all to get maybe that demo released. You know, mm-hmm. um, that probably be the way to go i agree with you because you know i feel like with just with the doctor ordered you know that was available on cd and everything and it was kind of like a more of a like a mass availability but like that demo that was magic like i actually bought that at one of your shows (laughs) you know what i mean wow i still have it it's like the black cassette with the razor white logo on the front the logo on the front i remember um i remember getting those cassettes in man we was like the whole world opened up you know we'd we'd sell them at the shows and it's crazy to think that it was cassette you know that was the only way we had it 
five bucks, man. That's how much. That's, that's how right. much it cost me. That's five right. bucks. That's right. I made the sign. Razor white cassettes. Five, five bucks. bucks. I remember <laughs> that, man. I even yeah. had the cartoon shirt of you guys on the front. Oh yeah, yeah. I remember that too. We had someone do that little cartoon drawing of the band. It worked out pretty good for us. Ah oh, man, dude, I wore that shirt till it fell off of me. Seriously, like it literally. Yeah, we, just... we, we sold a lot of t-shirts and a lot of cassettes in those days. You know, that's how we were living. So, do you ever hear Razor White mentioned much, like from the outside? And if you do, I mean, aside from me or whatever, but like, whenever Razor White comes up, like, what is your thought? Like, well, how do you feel when someone mentions Razor White as you know a piece of? you know, New Orleans history. Yeah. See, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I don't really view it that way for me. It's, um, it's one of those things that like, it's sort of like looking back at an old high school photo, you know, you, you look back at it, you remember it, but yet you go, God, look at my hair, man. I wish I would have <laughs> done this. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I guess that's sort of the way I feel about it. And, you know, the cool thing is, man, I get people constantly, I won't say constantly, but consistently touching base with me through social media or phone calls or however they get in touch with me and, and say, hey, do you have that Razor White demo? Do you have any any of that music? I'd like to get it, you know. And unfortunately, I gave all that stuff away years ago. And what I didn't give away, I lost to Katrina. Right. So... I don't have any, um, I don't really have any of it, but yeah, people do ask about it. Um, and like I'm saying, it, it, it was a time in my life, man, that I look back on very, very fondly, but at the same time, I, you'd look back on it and you go, God, I wish we had done this or done that or, or done this differently. We could have, could have really done things and mm-hmm. gone somewhere, you know, but hindsight is what it is, right? Absolutely. Well, so what was the magic behind the New Orleans metal scene, like and hard rock scene? Like, what was it that kept you guys together? What was it that fueled the fire? Just the people. Just just the people. It was just a great scene. It was a it was a time in your life where everybody was young. There were bars everywhere. Everything was thriving at the time. There was a lot of oil money down here in the eighties. So. You know, people had money to come to the shows and, and buy the cassettes and buy the T-shirts. And, and then, like I said, too, the, the, the bands themselves, the people in the bands, you know, the the Kirks and the Steves and the, the Kyles. And everybody was just so cool and knew everybody. And, and it was a small musical community. Everybody kind of hung together. And it was a magical time to be involved in it. Um, and when you look back on it now, you know, and you say, oh, it was it's you know it was so influential and it was this and it was that but it was at the time it was just life man i mean you're mm-hmm. just young and you're living and you're you're writing songs and trying to sing the best you can and and look cool and fit in with the your peers you know not not just not be um you know just someone who they look down on or someone they would go oh man i heard that new razor white song i don't like it you know, or you, you always wanted them to go, man, have you heard the new Razor shit or have you heard this or have, you know, you wanted, you always wanted to impress your peers and impress the people around you. I think we were all that way. 
Um, and then, like I said as well, there were a lot of, of, of people out in those days. The scene was just, was great. Like everybody was, uh, everybody would come out to the shows and there were all kind of places to play. And, you know, it was just, um, it was a great time to be alive and, and be a young band. All right. So I only have a couple of things I want to ask you, but one of them I want to ask you is, is this is kind of like a lightning round. All right. How many New Orleans hard rock and metal bands can you list starting now? Oh, how many? Yeah. Name man, as, I, name I as many as you can. I a lot of weed and, <laughs> and did mushrooms when I was younger, man. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> well, so you, you always hear about know. the big ones, you know, like you hear about Lillian Axe, you know, yeah. Exhorter, yeah. Victorian Blitz, Dark August, uh, you know, Zebra. Um, yeah. Who are some of the other ones that, you know, that, that don't necessarily get a lot of the attention, but who are some of the other bands that you remember looking back on going, wow, they should have got a little more notoriety. Um, there was uh, the Slugs um, with uh, Jimmy Bauer and them. There was um, Killer Elite. Um, there was uh, getting into some of the more commercial stuff. There was uh, Fahrenheit was one of the bands skull mickey was one of the bands oh i remember um, them <laughs> i'm trying to think uh goodness oh shell shock was huge man they they were they were really that was like the beginnings of the whole crowbar heavier i remember scene. shell shock oh. and that logo with the yeah. like the it was like the hatch the, yes yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was it. Jimmy Bauer and Kirk and all of them were involved in all of that. Um, but yeah, uh, Graveyard Rodeo with Pepper mm-hmm. um, and Acid Bath was a uh, was a Bayou band that was really really heavy and influential. Mm-hmm. Um, that's about all I can remember, Don. I'm, I don't have the greatest of memories these days, man. <laughs> But it's amazing when you go back and, like I said, like when I think back on those bands and I go, God, it was such a magical time, you know, and it, and it's it so was. cool to see bands like, you know, like Exhorter, like, you know, making a comeback and, you know. Yeah. You know, I mean, Slaughter in the Vatican was like one of those albums that some that actually launched a genre at some point and, you know, unintentionally. Um, yeah. You know, so what about a Razor White reunion? Has that ever been discussed? Um, it's been discussed. I get asked about it all the time, uh, but I don't think it's ever going to happen. I just, uh, you know, everybody's sort of scattered across the country at this point and has their own lives. You know, I think I'm, uh, I know that Steve Joseph was the drummer. He's been in, involved and in, runs the house of shock down here, the haunted house. Oh um, yeah. And he's been, uh, he's has a pyro company and he's been, uh, He's been tour managing on the the big levels for years. So he's mm-hmm. like, you know, out with Kiss and, you know, stuff like that. You know, all these giant Florida Georgia line he just did. Uh, all these huge, huge bands. So that that's his life. Um, and then some of the other guys are married and have children. And then Matt Thomas, the guitar player, I think lives somewhere in Oklahoma. Um He's a lawyer, from what I understand. <laughs> wow. Um, he was in Crowbar for a little bit, too. He was in Crowbar yeah. for a bit, yeah. And then he moved to Oklahoma and became a lawyer. 
But Matt was always one of those guys that was going to be successful at whatever he did. He mm-hmm. just had that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't see it really happening. I think I'm sort of the face of, of the old Razor stuff. You know, people seem to contact me about it a lot. Um, if it was ever going to happen, I think it, it'd have to go through me. So as far as putting it together, I mean, um, but I don't know, man. I, I'd love to get out and play the songs with, with my own band at some point, you know, if, if that's the best we could do. Um, but as far as getting the original band back together, uh, I don't I don't see that happening. Oh, man. Well, you know, I'm always going to be a proponent for that. So you'll get tired of hearing it from me, man. Once a yeah, year, you'll well, hear it. <laughs> I wish. Hey, I'd do it, man. I'd, I'd, I'd be in. I'd, I'd do it tomorrow. But yeah, it's, it's gathering those guys, I think, would be a tall order. Oh, yeah, being so spread out, man. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, Troy, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about just you know the New Orleans scene and Razor White and all that good stuff. You know, it's it's great to hear the stories from someone who was there and who oh, you know, can pleasure, remember it man. somewhat. My pleasure. I enjoy talking about it. I and I, again, congratulations on all all you do, man. I. I you know, I haven't read your book yet, but I do plan to. And um, you're a huge proponent of, of great music. And uh, keep doing what you're doing, man. I, I see you doing great things, so, so just keep it up. And if I could, man, I'd like to also mention real quickly, I, I got a new solo record coming out that's done, uh, mixed, mastered. I got the artwork done. I just got to find the time to put it out. It's called Godspeed. Um I got one of the songs Randy Jackson plays on from Zebra. Another one of the songs Steve plays from Lillian Axe plays on. So I'm going to be putting that out pretty soon, and it'll be available at TroyMarks.com, M-A-R-K-S. Um, I'm also on Facebook and all that stuff too, man. I, I appreciate you, um, you you taking the time to talk to me and, and even being interested, man. So. You know, you got a friend in me, man. Whatever I can do for you, I'm always there as well. Well, thanks so much, Troy. I appreciate it, buddy. Thank you. My pleasure, brother. Good talking to you, Don. <laughs>